250 for a high ball and a buck and a half for a beer. You are stumbling back into a postseason pre-bowl game edition of Taken All Wrong. I am JD. I am joined as per usual by Jeff Rick. How are you this evening, my friend? Doing well, sir, yourself. I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, we did, uh, since recording last week, find out that the Gophers are heading to sunny Detroit, Michigan for a bowl game against the uh, Yellow Jackets of Georgia Tech uh, in the Quick Lane Bowl, which will be December 26th at 4.15 Central Time. Jeffrick, how excited are you about this bowl game? few things I love more than Detroit in winter. Um, we, had, we had talked a little bit about this. As someone who's not going to the game and wasn't planning to go to this bowl, um, I'm still just ecstatic that they're even in one, um, that they get to play an ACC opponent, and it's on at a decent time when I'm going to be able to watch the game from my couch with a beer or several uh, in hand. So from my perspective, um, I'm great with it. If you're trying to go to the game, though, probably a bit of a different story. Yeah, I've got sort of two schools of, I think similar to you, sort of two schools of thought, which is, and we talked about this last week, right? Bowl destination, as far as this season, doesn't matter. Uh, this is just a team that was going to benefit from the extra practices and being able to to have that hype around the program when uh, the recruits came in. Um you know, like you, as far as uh, as traveling there, I mean, that's certainly not uh, a great destination by any means. Also, uh, gets a little bit compounded because we were just there a couple of years ago. But, you know, here's the thing that I would say. If you're a fan and you're angry that this is the destination, whether it be because you wanted to travel to a warm destination or whatever, you, you weren't paying attention. I mean, I, I, I think... Every all along, this was probably the number one destination where this team was going to end up. As soon yep. as, as soon as the Wisconsin game ended, and it was like, "Hey, we're bowl eligible," this was probably going to be the destination all along. Um, realistically, your only, your only hope was Ohio State getting into the playoff, which would have bumped everybody up a bowl. But that was probably the only shot you had. Exactly, and in which case your destination is New York City yeah. uh, for another for a cold weather game outside. Um, and oh, by the way, you get to fly to New York over the holidays, which I'm sure uh, is is very cheap that time of year. So, I mean, there just wasn't going to be an ideal destination in this case. I know there was some talk about um, going out to California and potentially playing like Stanford in the red box bowl. I don't think that was ever super realistic. No, you know, that would have taken us jumping somebody and that just was not going to happen uh, right now. So uh, I think we, we ended up where we were going to end up. I think the bigger um, <clears throat> thing for fans to be worried about is uh, we've now got to play Georgia tech in Paul Johnson's final game uh, before he retires. And Hey, Joe Rossi, Congratulations on becoming the new defensive coordinator. Now, how about you go figure out how to defend one of the toughest offenses in the country? Yeah, one of the, uh, you know, what what we struggled with before Joe Rossi was defending, um, you know, the option and misdirection. And boy, are we going to see a lot of it. Uh, they've looked a lot better with, with uh, Joe Rossi at the helm, especially against the Purdue team. They're not a triple option, obviously. But uh, Jeff Brom, uh, Mr. Extension, by the way, did not take the Louisville job. Um, like to do a lot of different things on offense, but yeah, they, this is an offense that you just don't see very much anymore. It can be quite, quite tricky to try and scheme for to stop. And you know, it's, it's kids that have been running, you know, that offense for years and years, Paul Johnson stepping down after this game, he's kind of retiring slash getting pushed out, but, um, there'll probably be a bit of extra motivation there for tech as well with this being his last game. Right. So Georgia tech, uh, for those that haven't already looked them up, uh, seven and five on the season. They ended up second place in the ACC Coastal. Um, they do run a triple option, which uh, is is tough to defend. Not something that you see a lot, as Jeffrick mentioned. Um, but but did finish second in the ACC Coastal. And uh, not sure if you saw it on Twitter. Their fans are pissed yeah. that they're going 
to Detroit. They feel like they were uh, very much not treated well by their conference and potentially by their administration, feeling that uh, they didn't fight to get them in a better bowl, finishing second in their division and having to go to Detroit. They are not happy about it. Um, so that will definitely uh, definitely be interesting. Um, I haven't seen I, – I know some folks that are planning to make the trip to Detroit. Um, I, I will be very curious how uh, Georgia Tech fans travel for this one to a, uh, a cold weather destination. Yeah, my what, guess uh, is not well. Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, how they were treated as far as their bull destination? Let, let me just let me just say that you, that you are right earlier that go as Gopher fans this season we should be happy with whatever bowl we're getting and that Detroit was the most obvious one. But whether you're a Gopher fan or a Tech fan, this is this is a tough trip, right? I mean, first of all, it's Detroit, and if there's a good time to visit Detroit, it's certainly not uh, at the end of December. It's the day after Christmas, and it's not just the day after Christmas. It's a five fifteen kickoff. So you're either spending Christmas in Detroit, which you're not, nobody's doing that, but then that means you're getting up at the crack on, uh, as we like to say in Canada, Boxing Day. You got to fly out. You got to hope your hotel, you can check in early. You got to get stuff there. You're going to the game. You got no time to even get to it. And then for the privilege of all of that, uh, I just went on the U's website. If you want to support the University of Minnesota, because of course they have an allotment of tickets that they're given. And, you know, if we want to be a, a school that for future years shows that we show up to bowls and we sell at our allotments, $99.25. Not for four tickets, not for two tickets, one seat, whether you're a student, reserved, wherever, $99.25. So, I mean, all, all things told, I kind of get why people that actually wanted to go to the game probably aren't super excited about it. Uh, it's it's a definitely a tough poll. Um Bowl tickets are always so expensive. I feel like just because they jet, like, look, you think yeah. about it. You there were people, whether it's the Quick Lane Bowl boardroom, whatever the hell they do, or whoever makes the tickets, they were sit, they're sitting there saying, "How much can we gouge the schools for?" Because the schools have to pay for them. They've got to cover these. Now I know with Big Ten Network money and everything, we're not crying for the schools that have to pay for it. But someone sat in a boardroom and was like, 50 bucks? No. 60? 70? Se no, they got all the way up to 99. And then some Joe Schmo or Jane Schmo put up their hand and said, nope, I got it. $99.25. We're going to tack the quarter <laughs> on there just to screw them that little bit more. But yeah, it's it's out. If, if you need a reminder of how screwy the bull systems is, and this is where I love what the people who complain about players getting paid and get all up in arms about things, the bull system is a total racket. And back in the day when your destinations were Florida, Arizona, or California, and far less teams went bowling, you'd put up with it because you've got an actual real vacation out of it. But $99 just to, if you want to support the Gophers, just to get in when you know those tickets are going to be like a dollar on StubHub like the day before. It's, uh, it's, it's asking a lot of your fans. I agree. And that, that's the tough thing too, right? Is you'll see stuff on Twitter and on social media, like you got to buy your tickets through the yeah. U that's the yeah. only way to prove that we can travel and, and all these sorts of things. And it's like, yeah, but guess what? Like, let, let's see how many people are actually in the stands. Like you said, you're going to get walk-ups. You're going to get people that go get tickets off StubHub. That's not going to be a tough ticket to get. Um, so listen, I, I want as many people to go to the bowl game as possible. If you feel strongly enough and you've got the pocketbook to be able to buy the ticket from the U of M, more power to you. But I would not fault anybody who decides nope. to go out uh, onto the ticket market and uh, and pull a ticket that way. So a um, little bit more uh, about Georgia Tech. We'll talk uh, uh, again. Their offense is, uh, is really the um, – the, uh, the thing to talk about here, um, <clears throat> as far as rushing offense, oh, they're just the best rushing offense in the entire country. Uh, Georgia Tech rushes for nearly 335 yards per game, and they're averaging uh, 5.73 yards per carry or yards per attempt. So, um, so pretty impressive stat there. 22nd ranked scoring offense in the country, scoring uh, 35 and a half points a game. Um, and then total offense, uh, they dropped down to 52nd in the country, 419 total yards. So uh, they're putting up less than 100 yards a game through the air. So if you want to stop this team, uh, you're, you're going to have to stop the run. Um, we saw against Wisconsin uh, that 
you know, Rossi probably has the ability to um, be able to scheme that. The defensive line uh, was much better the last few games. Uh, so, so definitely think that there's some potential for optimism there. But uh, it's just one of those kind of scary, gimmicky offenses that people just aren't used to seeing. Uh, and it should make for an interesting game in this one. Well, and it's like let's be honest here. If you got if you got to see the, the the old school triple option like this, you want a month to prepare for it, right? Can you imagine the ACC teams that That's have to see point. this one week and then go back to regular defenses the next? Like, who I I didn't you know? Do you four linemen and four linebackers? Do you go you know like who knows, right? But at least the U and Rossi is in a good spot where they can put in a specific game plan just this month, just for this game, and then they can throw it all out and not have to worry about what they're doing the week after. So right. it's a tough one to prepare for. It's physical. Um, yeah, they, you know, they, they run it and run it and run it. They've always got a quarterback who's usually the best guy who even carries. I think I saw they had four or five guys with at least a hundred carries each. Like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, your, your eighties, nineties, you know, Nebraska, Oklahoma, wishbone stuff. We used to see it. It's a fun offense to see if you're not playing it. I would think like it can be entertaining to watch, but I would say at least they've got, it's good that you've got the 15 practices to get ready for this. And then you can throw it all out and move on after yeah, you're absolutely right. So four four um, running backs with uh, more than a hundred carries. Uh, so 194, 143, 105, and 103. Um, so so four with a hundred carries. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six running backs that had over 300 yards on the season. Um, so, I mean, you're going to see all kinds of different people, uh, their, uh, Taquan Marshall, the quarterback, uh, was their leading rusher, leading rusher and leading carries, um, had 896 yards on the season, four and a half, uh, yards per carry and 11 touchdowns. So, uh, potential for scary stuff, but like you said, uh, this is, this is the time you wanted to have the extra time to prepare for them. And, uh, you know, bowl season is is when you get the chance to experiment, throw some different packages out there, try some different things. Um, you're, you're playing against an offense that um, I, I think that it's potentially a good uh, look for next year because if I understand correctly, I believe Georgia Southern runs an offense that's slightly similar. I'd have to um, look I, that I, up. I think you're right on that. Yeah, if they still yeah. have the same coach next year, I think you're right on that. Right. So, um, so maybe potentially a good look for next year. Who knows? Um, well, we will, uh, we will definitely, uh, talk more about the bowl game in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to be a little bit diverse the rest of the evening tonight on top odd. Uh, we will be back shortly to talk a little bit of basketball with West coast Jake and just what the hell's been going on with the Gophers, uh, shooting. And then, uh, we'll finish up the show tonight with, uh, Mr. Kyle Goblerish. Gobi will talk to us about a big recruiting weekend coming up for the Gophers. You are listening to Taken All Wrong. Welcome back into Taking All Wrong. It's time to go to the hardwood and talk a little bit of men's basketball with Mr. West Coast Jake. How are you tonight? JD, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, I sort of wish we were recording on a different day of the week because it seems like we're starting a trend of recording right after an abysmal Gophers shooting performance. But But other than that, things are good. Well, something's going to have to give at some point or uh, the Gophers are going to just keep shooting like garbage because uh i mean we're in the podcast world now my friend we got to record once a week i don't know what i don't know what to say about it uh speaking of which uh the tale of two osus oklahoma state and ohio state uh this past weekend since we last recorded uh quite a contrast we'll go ahead and um, start out with oklahoma state uh jake friday night game uh, which is a little a little out of the ordinary, and then uh, really out of the ordinary, playing basketball in a football stadium at, at U.S. Bank Stadium where the Vikings play. I know you were in attendance for that game. Um, talk first about the atmosphere of that, and then second, uh, tell us 
a little bit about the game itself. The Gophers um, actually had a pretty decent shooting day uh, by their standards. I was at the game. Uh, the atmosphere was actually pretty strong, which was surprising because we heard some fear-mongering from one or two local reporters that there were big, big attendance concerns for this game or this set of games. And uh, the the stadium wasn't full. It wasn't a sellout by any means. But I think there were 12,500 or so announced in attendance Friday night. And I think the 9 p.m. game actually was beneficial from an atmosphere perspective because I think a lot of people took the opportunity to uh, whether after work or after heading home to to change and recharge and whatnot, uh, grabbed dinner downtown, grabbed some drinks downtown. I know uh, we were at a, a brewery downtown and it was absolutely packed with gopher gear before the game. And so we got in, it was good vibe, enthusiastic atmosphere, and it always helps when the local squad actually plays well. So I think fans showed up and were ready to cheer and the team gave us something to cheer about. What I saw was after a really slow start to that Oklahoma State game, uh, a little worrisome given how we've looked a lot of the time this year to date, I saw us go out and impose our will and run Oklahoma State almost out of the gym to the point where we were up 18 in the second half and did it look kind of close at the end because we relaxed and let them back into the game a little bit ball movement stopped flowing to some extent and i think it got as close as four which which is certainly a little bit too close for comfort but i really thought the middle 30 minutes or so of that game we significantly outclassed an oklahoma state team that's that's young that's inconsistent but that also had beaten up on a ranked lsu team a, a week earlier so good win for the squad on a friday night saw a lot of things i liked i thought with the exception possibly of that second half of the Washington game up in Vancouver, uh, the the majority of this game was about the best we've played this season. So really good to see. So that game uh, Friday night <clears throat> sort of wraps up, I guess, what we'd refer to as the first half of our non-conference season with the kind of switch up in, in the conference games, the Gophers having two um, – Big Ten games early in December, um, which we'll talk about here in a minute. This sort of wraps up the first half of our non-conference schedule, which I think in our pre-production meeting you referred to as the the real teams of our non-conference schedule. Um, so having said that, looking back at this um, kind of stretch through November and, and early December here, um, you know, every, everybody from uh, Omaha and Utah, the entire Vancouver Challenge, um, losing to BC and then beating Oklahoma State. How would you assess the Gophers uh, for through this uh, this first seven games of the season? You know, I think you have to look at it as a success to come out of that stretch playing numerous Power Five conference teams, playing neutral games up in Vancouver, uh, a technically neutral game here at U.S. Bank Stadium, although obviously there was a pretty partisan crowd and then a, a true road game at Boston College. I think to get out of that with with only one loss, and Boston College isn't a great team. We looked terrible there. We don't have to spend more time on it. But bottom line is it's really unlikely that looks like a bad loss in the eyes of the committee come tournament time. And so getting out of that stretch with four power five wins. And you would certainly hope that one or two of those teams can, can, you know, punch at or above their weight all year and be NCAA tournament caliber teams. Uh, and you've, you had some weird scheduling quirks on top of that, that, that made a few of those games real tough getting out of there with one loss in yes, what we called the real part of the non-conference season. So accepting the, cupcakes tune-up games we have coming up later this month i think one loss in the non-conference and the number of quality wins the number of power five wins uh is successful now has the team always looked pretty doing it have they cleaned up all the stuff that we'd like to see them clean up absolutely not but part of that is a function of you're playing power five teams almost every time out so far which is pretty unusual for a major conference team to go out and schedule that heavily early on. 
And so there's something to be said for just win those games, just build that resume. And after tomorrow night's game against Nebraska, you do have four additional games, which are more or less tune-ups, opportunities to go get wins by significant margins, extend your bench a little bit, get guys some playing time, get them into rhythm, as well as work on some things that you may not have had a chance to work on yet because you're busy scratching and clawing out victories over the Texas A&Ms and Washingtons and Oklahoma States of the world. So uh, there's definitely some stuff that I would like to see us improve upon, but from a results perspective, got to be happy with with what's happened in the non-conference. Definitely. You you mentioned schedule anomalies, and I know, you know, there's, I, I believe I saw that there were some issues as far as travel, but one thing that's really interesting about this non-conference schedule, and you mentioned, you know, playing some, some better competition, but also just the fact that we haven't played a home game at, true home game, uh, you know, U.S. Bank Stadium aside, at Williams Arena since November 12th. So, um, by the time we take on Nebraska tomorrow night, you're looking at basically four weeks since you've had a true home game. So um, to come out of that stretch with the one loss against Boston College um, after a holiday weekend, uh, agree, definitely definitely does look good. So speaking of scheduling anomalies, um, we may have been bitten by one of those again going to Ohio State, uh, playing a Sunday night game. So so Gophers play Friday night in Minneapolis, a 9 p.m. game. That game wraps up late. You know, they're probably back on campus by midnight and then have to travel the next day because they've got a game Sunday night in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so that that fast turnaround, that scheduling anomaly that you mentioned uh, maybe bites us again. And Gophers go into Columbus and – I mean, there's just no other way to say it. They lay an egg, right? Uh, 5-5, I think, was the score when Ohio State went on something like a 23-2 run. Um, And really, that ended up being the the margin in the game. But as far as the the Gophers playing at Columbus, I mean – I mean, I don't know what other way to say it other than just the – maybe the worst shooting performance I've ever watched in a basketball game. Uh, I don't mean to take away your thunder as far as actually looking at (laughs) any stats or anything, but I mean, just, I mean, it was awful basketball to watch. You don't have to take away my thunder. I think we, and let's give our listeners some credit. All of our listeners are equally sophisticated in terms of knowing how bad a, a zero is in the main three point field goals column. Uh, it, it was absolutely ridiculous. I can't recall. I'm sure I've seen a college game where it's happened before, but I can't recall one off the top of my head. Um, it takes away going and laying an egg and getting blown out takes away the ability to be mad at the Big Ten for the whole scheduling thing, uh, which we did get completely screwed on. Everybody starts with a home game and a road game, and we asked for our home game to be the game that's less than 48 hours after the the game that's already in Minneapolis and and weren't granted that for some reason. So had we lost by three or five points, we could have some righteous anger about that. But we just looked completely outclassed from a shooting perspective, from a physicality perspective. When three-point shots aren't falling, you'd love to go get opportunities at the rim or go out on the run. And we, again couldn't finish layups. Uh, they, they were physical. Um, you know, they were blocking our shots. We couldn't get over them at the rim. Um, and then we couldn't get enough offensive rebounds and, and putbacks to make that make a difference in the game. So I was encouraged three, four minutes in when it was five, five McBrayer had a nice and one, uh, Gabe got a steal on the next possession, passed it forward, and it was like, okay, here we go. Let's get out and run. And I think we got to travel on that possession, and then they blitzed us, and we're up by 20, and we, we fought back briefly, but not even close to enough. And so I, I think this is a game where you almost have to ignore how bad we looked from a fan perspective because that was pretty uncomfortable to watch and just chalk it up as, 
We knew the schedule was weird. We knew it was a road game against a very good team. A double-digit loss is not surprising. Wipe it from the memory and get ready for Nebraska uh, was sort of my takeaway. There's not a lot positive that you could see on the court in that game. And so it's get it out of your head, get back to Williams Arena after, like you mentioned, nearly a month and, and just get on to the next game. I wanted to bring up something that you and I discussed sort of offline uh, with some other folks, which is just, uh, you know, even putting this game aside, this specific game aside, if you look at the Gophers from a shooting perspective this season, it's abysmal. I mean, two-point percentage, three-point percentage, free-throw percentage. I mean, we're we're not good. Um, and one question I asked you in that conversation was, is there any reason for us to believe that this is going to get better? Because this is a team that uh, should be athletic, um, doesn't have a lot of great shooters. One thing that, I, I, that frustrates me is uh, outside of coffee, sometimes we don't have anybody who's willing to pull up for uh, a mid-range jumper whatsoever. Talk a little bit about that shooting percentage, those, those issues from a shooting percentage. And if you can dig deep, uh, give us some positivity, something we can look forward to. <laughs> I, I think I can give you some positivity, but I may have to dig deep for it. Uh, when I look at the stats and try to quantify uh, what our shooting looks like and will it get better, it's tough to find a lot there because, like you said, we're pretty poor across the board. Uh, Three-point shooting, two-point shooting, free-throw shooting, all well in the sort of bottom half of Division One teams. And that tends to improve slightly over the season. So teams full season numbers are generally better than their November numbers just across the country. Uh, so we'll probably shoot a slightly better percentage, uh, but there's not really any reason in the statistics to believe that our national rank is necessarily going to jump way up. Cause everybody I, else is going to shoot better too, right? Cause everyone else is going to shoot better too. Exactly. I think two two things you can kind of lean on. The first is guys off to rough starts where we've seen them play really well in the past. So Amir Coffey is literally a below average offensive player right now, statistically. Dupree McBrayer is too. Um, you know, you have probably more reason to believe that will turn around than reason to believe it won't just based on what we've seen out of them in their careers to date. And so those guys are going to start hitting more shots. Are they going to be Gabe Kalshur quality shooters? No, but the data we've seen is, and, and the games we've seen over the last two, three years, those guys can both finish at the rim. They can pull up and, and hit some mid range jumpers and they're not going to be lights out three point shooters, but they can hit them in rhythm when open. And then the other thing you'd hope for is, uh, starting to be smarter about shot distribution. So you mentioned frustration with Isaiah having the the second most shots on the team the other night. Uh, I, I think specifically the Ohio State game, he got a little bit into chucker mode at the end when they're down by 20, which isn't a huge deal, but I think we, we recognize his shot selection isn't always ideal, um, but it is improving. And so continuing to rein that in, recognizing that Gabe is a lights-out shooter and starting to run more sets and, and more plays for him will help benefit us as well. And so I think if you get that mix figured out, uh, you could you could improve the overall team percentages a little bit. Um, and then the bottom line, we might have to win kind of ugly at times. Uh, we are bad at shooting the basketball so far. We are great at rebounding our own misses, and we are elite at getting to the free-throw line. We are 11th in the country at how often we get to the free throw line relative to how often we shoot the basketball. And so what that tells me is a missed shot for us isn't as bad as it is for most teams because a lot of the time we're getting the ball back and putting it back up and getting fouled. Now, a lot of the time we're putting it back up and missing the layup or the dunk or the bunny, and that's got to get fixed. 
Um, I was going to say, there's a reason that we have to rebound so many of our shots and get second chances because we have a lot of those. Yeah, exactly. So if if we can figure some of that stuff out, the numbers will look a little bit better, but I don't think it's going to be beautiful, you know, Golden State Warriors or in the Big Ten, Michigan Wolverines or Purdue Boilermakers last year, quality offensive basketball. We may, may have to grind and scratch and claw through it a little bit. So speaking of uh, maybe having to grind and scratch and claw, we'll have uh, Gophers play two games this week. The uh, previously mentioned uh, second of the early Big Ten Conference games against Nebraska, which will be uh, this Wednesday night, uh, the 5th. And then uh, we'll play Arkansas State this weekend. Let's focus a little bit on Nebraska. Full disclosure, I know nothing about them other than the fact that – they uh, are seven and one at this point, uh, and one and zero in the Big Ten. What do, what do we have to expect from them uh, this this uh, Wednesday night? So they're seven and one. Their only loss was to a really really good Texas Tech team. So they've gotten off to a really strong start. They have guys you've probably heard of from last year: uh, James Palmer, Copeland. Uh, Glenn Watson, their small sort of spark plug guard is back. And then Isaiah Roby, all guys that were pretty big contributors last year and, and are, are all back. Uh, none of them are sort of elite go-to guys, I would say. Uh, but they all sort of play really well together. They move the ball pretty well. They, they like to get to the rim. They like to rebound. They like to be tough sort of down on the block. They are scary good defensively so we just talked about uh how poor poorly we've shot the ball so far this season i'm not sure tomorrow's the right game to break out of that unfortunately nebraska's third in the country at allowing uh other opponents to shoot the ball well in terms of effective field goal percentage so uh, that's really rough when you think about the fact that in our most recent game, we made zero three-pointers. Uh, we were talking earlier today. I don't think there's a way to make fewer than zero three-pointers in a game, but if there is, we'll find out tomorrow night. Uh, so that notwithstanding, we've got to do what we do well, which is get out and run a little bit, uh, get to the free-throw line as much as we can, get on the offensive glass, because I think you know from a jump-shooting perspective, they're going to be tenacious and we're going to have a hand in our face a lot of the time. Um, And then, you know, lean on what we do well, lean on strong on the ball defense and uh, try and scratch out a a home win in the big 10. Important to stay on pace uh, with those, with those home conference games. Uh, It sounds just lovely, Uh, but maybe the Gophers get a lift from, uh, from playing at home, Uh, which as I mentioned previously, they haven't done in, uh, almost a month. So hopefully the the home crowd is behind them uh, before we head back into uh, the rest of the non-conference schedule here over the rest of the month. Well, um, one thing that uh, you haven't done is take a shot at Wisconsin this week, which uh, typically you work in. So (laughs) I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. The Gophers just had a poor shooting, uh, a poor game shooting, um, you know, you, you missed a shot here. Uh, do you want a chance to, uh, to take a shot at Wisconsin before we leave? You know, I don't know how I could possibly take a shot at a team that is so good that they just dominated Rutgers at home to the tune of a five point victory yesterday. That's just such an impressive performance that I have no idea what I could say about the Badgers uh, being overrated at 12 in the country or, or anything similar to that when they just blew out Rutgers at the Cole center to the tune of a five point victory. So um, I'm going to have to pass. Well played friend. Well played. We appreciate you joining us once again. (laughs) had fun as always jd we'll talk to you soon absolutely we will be uh right back to wrap up this week's taking all wrong we're going to talk recruiting with goby you're listening to the top hot
Welcome back to Taking All Wrong. We're going to get back into football and want to focus now that we've got a couple of weeks till we've got another football game. Uh, talk a little bit about something that is top of mind for a lot of Gopher fans, which is recruiting. I'm joined this week uh, by a gentleman who's been with us many times this year. Mr. Kyle Gobler, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, or uh, should I say elite, I guess, now that you got the axe back. Yeah, buddy. Yes. Well, uh, appreciate you joining us. Gobi, uh, as you know, is uh, part of the 24-7 network and uh, and uh, follows recruiting very closely, is on top of uh, a lot of what's going on and has a chance to interact with recruits and watch tape and things like that. So wanted to get him on as uh, the Gophers have a big recruiting weekend coming up to talk about, uh, about what that looks like. What I want to do uh, what I should do first is actually remind people that Taking All Wrong is brought to you by MyBookie. As always, go to MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code WRONG25 when you make your deposit, and you'll get your first deposit match dollar for dollar plus a $25 bonus. Um, I want to step back a, a year, Gobi. Uh, last year, the recruiting calendar sort of changed, um, and I want to make sure that everybody is kind of remembering that and up to speed on that. So tell us about why signing day is sort of in December now. Yeah, so, and, and actually there's two signing days now. So kind of similar to, you know, think about how basketball has an early signing day and then a spring signing day. Um, the first Wednesday in February was always the lone signing day for football. And what the NCAA agreed, you know, with what was recommended to them by coaches and you know, basically everybody was that we add this early signing day, which, which now falls in, in mid-December. And it allows kids that, that feel confident where they want to go, that they can sign early um, to kind of just get things over with. They don't need to wait until mid-February. They're done with their senior seasons. They're ready to just kind of lock things in and then focus on the holidays and, and finish through the rest of the school year or maybe early enroll when it comes to early January as well. So, so that was the big shift. We didn't necessarily lose that, uh, that signing day in, in uh, the first Wednesday in February. It's just we didn't realize it last year because Coach Fleck literally had his entire class sign that first signing day which is now that mid-december date um and, and that's actually what i'm expecting again this year so it kind of makes that second signing day a little anticlimactic but um you know it just bumps up the excitement for the rest of us that we get to kind of chase all this and, and close out the class a little bit early um so so yeah so that was the main shift and uh, with that though oh sorry go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the kind of the, the conventional wisdom on this early signing day is that it benefits some of the maybe not the blue bloods of the college football world because, you know, teams like Alabama and, you know, Ohio State, those guys are really focusing on national championships and big bowl games and things like that. So December isn't necessarily a time where they do as much recruiting and maybe this benefits some of the smaller schools or not, not the blue blood, so to speak. Yeah. And I would agree with that. Uh, you know, that, that next tier, or even in some cases, it probably benefits those, those teams that did not make a bowl game. Um, and we got to see that, um, and it maybe not to, to a certain extent, I shouldn't say that too much because you're still going to see the top classes are going to be the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons of the world. But how it benefits them is with the prime example would be last year when coach Fleck and the, and the team did not make a bowl game last year, their entire month of December was dedicated to nothing but recruiting. Whereas this year they're getting to balance a little bit of both. You know, they're starting bowl practices. They're starting to get things going in that regard. That takes some of the coordinators off the road. Um, so it limits a little bit of their recruiting. Now, granted, Coach Fleck lives and dies with recruiting. So um, I trust that it still is going to continue pushing forward. But but that's the thought is that you're right, where um, some of those teams, you know, get a little bit of that added advantage. Plus, I think what it helps with, too, is that it helps them kind of hold off some of those poachings that happened, right. you know, late in January. It allows those kids like a Rashad Bateman to get locked in rather than get poached by a Georgia of the world. Um, right. I think over time we're going to see schools readjust their strategy on that. They're just going to try to poach a little bit early in the process. They can't necessarily wait for the whole senior season to finish before they start recruiting a kid that they might poach. They maybe need to develop that relationship a little bit sooner. Um, but I think that's the advantage is that it really kind of helps them save themselves from, from so many guys getting poached between December and January. 
Right. Yeah, that was actually the next thing I was going to ask about is, you know, with, with no bowl games going on and no practices going on, it's pretty easy for uh, an Urban Meyer uh, or a, a Jim Harbaugh who needs to finish out a class to go, hey, who's Minnesota's top guy? Who's Nebraska's top guy? And do we have a chance yep. at them? Um, so yep. so that's definitely exactly. a big difference. Um, so, so speaking of this new calendar then, um, it kind of changed a little bit this year about how the Gophers did some recruiting. And they actually did something that I think was new to them, which was um, hosted a, a several official visitors in the spring. Uh, it, was that kind of new? And, and how do you think that affects the way this recruiting calendar falls now? Yeah, actually, it's, it's been kind of fun to follow that because I think we're going to see some some changes, you know, obviously going into year one, or this last spring was the first year that spring official visits, spring and summer official visits was allowed. So I believe it was like through mid-April to the end of June, spring official visitors were allowed. Um, Gophers currently have 22 commits. 15 of those 22 commits are coming this weekend. All of the others had already taken their official visit in the past. So, so you're talking seven other individuals. that, And usually those are going to be the types of guys and actually the way that the, the staff used it as the strategy was those were the types of guys that they really wanted to get on campus but maybe couldn't get to campus on their own dime. So maybe a kid from South Florida, uh, the prime example that I would use there, I guess, is uh, um, the linebacker commit, um, James Gordon. James Gordon is a prime example down by Miami. Um, you know, probably a kid that you weren't going to get up on an unofficial visit, but you were able to bring him in for an official visit uh, back in early June. So he gets to see that Minnesota isn't, you know, the 10 feet of snow that a lot of South Florida kids, you know, perceive it to be. So you get to show them that Minnesota in the summer is actually gorgeous. Uh, you get to show them a totally different side than what they believe happens in Minnesota. Um, so that's the advantage there. Now, the, the flip side, the con that the staff is realizing right now, and they're kind of suffering through a little bit with those seven commits is now when it becomes time for poaching season and you're bringing those other 15 commits in and you got to kind of get to create that camaraderie and, and it gets all that excitement right before signing day and it kind of locks in those kids where it kind of refreshes their memory. Why did I commit in the first place? Well, those seven that came in the spring, I mean, sure, they could come up on an unofficial visit right now, but you can't bring them in on an official visit because they took one in the spring. Um, so the difficulty is someone like James Gordon, again, he has schools like Florida State and Miami trying to poach him, and it would be great to be able to bring him in this weekend, but you've already used him on the official visit, uh, so you're not going to get him in this weekend, and it's harder to keep him committed, I guess, is the example. So that's the flip side of the con. So what will be interesting to watch this coming spring is how the staff adjusts that strategy. Do they continue to bring guys in in the spring and summer, just a couple, or do they want to start reserving that for later in the fall? You know, because there are, like I said, there's the pros of, you know, bringing guys in at that time of the year to show them that Minnesota is more than, like I said, just 10 feet of snow. Right. Absolutely. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned another big recruiting weekend coming up. Uh, obviously the Gophers have uh, several verbal commits right now. I'm um, going to be bringing some of those kids in just to um, sort of, sort of lock them up, but, but definitely uh, some excitement around some of the other kids that will be coming in for visits. Talk to us a little bit about um, maybe some names that are coming in for this big recruiting weekend and um, you know, who you think we might be able to uh, to get in the fold before signing day. Yeah. Um, this weekend is going to be very exciting uh, for those of you that do follow recruiting. Um, Ryan Burns and I on Gopher Illustrated, uh, actually Ryan's going to have a big kind of deep dive previewing that on Friday and Saturday. There's a couple names that aren't public yet um, that I can't quite hit on yet, but I'm sure is going to get some excitement perks perked up for fans um the couple that are already known would be like in isaiah hoofkin is his name i believe it or hookfin i'm sorry i said hookfin i flipped the k in the f on my bad but it's isaiah hookfin he is a, a big offensive talent or offensive tackle from texas um the gophers are competing with texas the longhorns for that one uh, they they would like to add another tackle a defensive lineman, and, and a, probably two more DBs to close out this class. And out of the two DBs, one Juco and one high school. But Isaiah, again, they would love to close with that offensive line spot. 
Um, so that's one to keep an eye on that's already kind of a known. Uh, Rashad Chaney would be another. That's a four-star defensive tackle that at one point was committed to Georgia. Um, so that's a, another kid to kind of keep an eye on as well that's coming in this weekend. And then there's a couple uh, Juco corners that they're specifically eyeing on. Um, one in specific, I think, to keep an eye on, I'm, I'm going to butcher the last name here, but Dante Kerry Williams. Uh, he was previously a Wisconsin Badger, so you know after getting the axe, that, that'll be a guy to kind of keep a close eye on. He he left Wisconsin. Uh, there clearly was some, uh, I think, just disagreements just in general between him, the defensive staff. I don't know if it was between playing time or whatnot, but but he he opted to go JUCO route. Um, and he's somebody that's actually really close childhood friends with Benny Sapp, a current safety for the Gophers. Oh, so, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, so Gophers kind of have a interesting connection there so that's another guy to kind of keep an eye on but but all in all they're currently what's really interesting you have to look at the size of the class right now um to kind of inform fans more than anything is currently at, if you look on our commit page on 24 7 sports or on gopher illustrated it shows that there's 22 commits of those 22 commits um two of them are what's called maroon shirts so they're not going to technically count towards this class they're not going to take up a scholarship immediately from this class the they'll kind of be like the zach annexted of this class where they'll initially walk on and then be rewarded with a scholarship a year after um enrolling in school and that way it'll count to the total 85 scholarships that you're granted from the ncaa but it will not count towards the scholarship total for this class now you're given 25 scholarships per class by the ncaa uh one of them we do know is going to end up going to uh um wow i completely just drew blank um the safety that wow i'm that came in this summer from las vegas um, oh my gosh geez that played as a true freshman this is horrible. <laughs> I'm supposed to know this. I'm, I'm, I just literally got yeah, sidetracked. Sorry. One of my other pages. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, but anyways, uh, so you have a safety on, currently on roster. I'm going to get it here in a second, but currently on roster that's going <laughs> to end up, uh, that's going to end up getting rewarded with a scholarship. So he'll count as one of those, which will drop you to really like a class size of 24 is what you're going to see on signing day. Um, so with that being said, said jordan howden is the name by the way for those of you yes. um that didn't have Sorry. any idea what i was talking about and i, just <laughs> I was completely trying to go for the two <laughs> so i apologize jordan played a ton as a true freshman so he's going to yeah. get rewarded and he will count because he has not been enrolled for a year he will count back towards the total class size for this class okay so that's why so they'll be at 24 now this weekend like i mentioned before 15 of the official visitors are currently committed so that's huge you're, again you're creating that camaraderie you're going to you can do this whole Twin Cities takeover is what they're calling it. Um, but then on top of that, you're going to see at the end of the day, I mean, there's still, there's, there's some things that are in flux. They're still working out final plans with a couple guys. So, um, but you're going to see anywhere from about 10 to 12 more uncommitted guys coming in as well on top of that. But like I said, you start to get down, you know, you're at 22 right now. You deduct those minus those two, that are maroon shirts. You're at 20. But again, you're probably only going to hit that 24. So you're looking at maybe four to five more spots in total that they're going to add out of that 10 to 12 guys that are uncommitted coming in this weekend. So it's really going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, because in some capacity, they want to fill, like I said, some DB need, some D-line need, and potentially O-line. But you've got also wide receivers coming in, some wide receivers you just can't say no to. So it's really almost kind of become like an NFL draft where – um, yes, we have one or two needs, but those last couple might just be filled with best available, so to speak, if that makes sense. It does. I hate when you, I hate hearing you say it's becoming like an NFL draft. That makes me think yeah. that people are well, going to start I guess the only, I, the only reason why I bring that up is for the best available standpoint. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Where, where you've got a need, but... You know, there's just going to be a couple of those guys that, yes, you know, you look at the current roster, is there really a need for wide receiver? Probably not. But if you've got a four-star kid that wants to jump on and he's a wide receiver and he can give you a lift just like Rashad Bateman did this year as a true freshman, that's just a kid you can't say no to. You can never right. have, you know, a raw playmaking potential like that. You, you just you can never have enough of it. So you you can't say no to someone like that. Yeah, you you uh, you find room for somebody for athletes like that on your team, uh, without yep. question. Um, uh, I didn't ask you to uh, about this in our uh, pre-production meeting, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to put put you on the spot uh, here. Uh, when it's all said and done with this class, we know that last year's recruiting class um, by Fleck was 
one of the best in maybe the best by some of the numbers in the uh, modern recruiting era uh, for the Gophers. When it's all said and done after this signing day, do you think this class will be more highly rated than last year's class? Um, I mean, if you ask me, like if we're in Vegas and we're you know playing over under all that, I'd probably would say a push on this one. Um, last year's class finished at 38th overall in the country and number seven in the Big Ten. I think it's going to be really close to that if they land a couple of the names that I'm I'm projecting. They might slightly beat it. I, I'm projecting this class to kind of fall in that mid 30 to 40, so very similar to last year, which is impressive because you're 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 doing this class off of a no bowl season essentially because you have you recruited large majority of this class before earning the bowl two you know two weeks ago so that's why i say it's off of a no bowl the the current bowl season and getting the axe is really going to affect the 2020 class next year so we'll see that carry over next year so so to kind of hold steady um, you know, from recruiting class one to two off of no bowl, that's impressive. You would like to see them take that next step forward and get into at minimum the upper twenties and hopefully break through that top 25 type ranking with that 2020 class. So like I said, with this one though, I'm going to say a push. The big area where I'm really expecting to, to kind of hit some quote unquote dudes at is, is on the defensive line. Um, gotcha. it, it might go down as one of the best D line classes that I've seen in, in quite some time, especially if they close with the two or three additional D line names that I think they're going to. That's great. Well, I mean, like you said, Im- impressive, uh, if it, even if it is a push this year based on what they were coming off of and, you know, even let's look at how last year's recruiting class, uh, made an impact already this fall. Um, I mean, right. players, players all over the field. So, well, we appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you giving us an update on recruiting season, and uh, we look Absolutely. forward to uh, chatting you with you more in the off season, Gobi. All right, thank you very much, sir. Absolutely. Well, folks, uh, that's going to do it for us. Clink them and drink them. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you listening to uh, uh, to uh, excuse me, sharing taken all wrong with your friends, retweeting the show, however you uh, pass this along. We absolutely appreciate it and uh, always do our best to uh, make it entertaining and informative. As always, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes or any other platform, we would appreciate you giving us a rating. Um, So for Jeffrick, for West Coast Jake, and for Gobi, Uh, This is where Jeffrick would take us out by saying, stay classy and go Gophers. And I will remind you to row the boat and sky you mop.